Good morning, Bethel. I was uh, preparing my notes yesterday, and um, the word Bethel came to mind. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's, it's a Hebrew word, Bethel, house of God. And that just kind of struck me. Man, that's a wow thing, right? Here we are in this room, the people of God, in the spirit of God, studying the word of God in the house of God. That is such a, a cool thing. So good morning, Bethel. My name is Scott Gill. I'm one of the elders here at the downtown campus. Uh, Eric, Susan, and the rest of the mission team, they are supposed to be traveling back this week. So uh, if you could, uh, keep them in prayers for safe travels this week. And um, that I'm sure they would be most appreciative of that. I've had the, the joy of uh, doing this a few times over the uh, the past couple of years, and uh, it, is a, it is a joy to do it, but I've, I've kind of been thinking about what's the ideal amount of time to spend on a sermon, and, and I, I wrestle with that, um, and where's John Toon? I thought I saw him earlier. Uh, no, there you are, John. Yeah, we will be done by 2 o'clock for the first pitch for the game today, so uh, don't worry about it. We're going to get done with that, but uh, i tell you what, I don't know how long it's going to take. I shortened it this morning. Um, and and uh, my mind just goes crazy, so we'll see how long it takes. I don't think it'll be three hours, John, so please don't worry about it. You'll get to see the LSU game. Let's pray, and we'll dig into God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, uh, we, we just come to you humbly. Uh, we seek humility, Lord. We want to see more of you. Uh, we want to see, uh, see you. And so, Lord, we come to your Word, and we ask that your Spirit be with us to enlighten us, to... Uh, just show us more and more about you. So, Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth, that the meditations uh, of our hearts, Lord, that they be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. The year was 1970. A seven-word message went out that captured and captivated people's attention around the world. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. You might be a little more familiar with the 1995 movie Apollo 13 starring Tom Hanks. The writers had to tweak that a little bit for dramatic effect. Uh, Houston, we have a problem, right? But what had happened was an oxygen tank on board the ship, the Apollo 13 spaceship, had exploded, crippling the spaceship some 200,000 miles away from Earth, jeopardizing its power and fuel system, uh, and creating a critical life-threatening situation of rising CO2 levels and decreasing oxygen levels. The world was watching. The world was praying. NASA was scrambling. NASA was praying. But for those of you around in 1970, those of you that watched the 1995 movie, you know that the spacecraft returned home safely. And for many, through God's providence, through his works, a multitude of people witnessed countless prayers being answered. But, as Paul Harvey would say, and I know a lot of you are, are younger, you may not know who Paul Harvey is, but those of us with gray hair, we remember. Isaac, you don't know Paul? Google it, okay? Just Google it right now. As Paul Harvey would say, stay tuned for the rest of the story. Jim Phillips knows who I'm talking about. He's over there. Yeah, Paul Harvey, go for it. But what would uh, be described as astronomical odds? God did a thing, right? God does uh, numerous, mighty, immeasurable things all the time. In the good times, God is at work. In the dire times, God is at work. And we need to just pause. We need to 
to, to realize and recognize that God is indeed at work in our lives. And look, I, I know that, that um, some of you might be struggling today. You might know people who are struggling this day. The, uh, the, the, the things are just, just cloudy. They're, they're looking through, through gray, lens, gray lenses, perhaps even dark, dark lenses. And um, they're desiring the assurance. Of, you know, how does God work in my life when I feel so far removed from him? When I feel like I'm in this deep and murky pit of despair. Well, King David answered that very question for the nation of Israel. Uh, and he wanted to assure them that God is at work. And so that's going to be our big idea for the day. God is at work in your life. And we're going to be in Psalm 40. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 40. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version as I tell folks. I like it. But also, this Bible has big print, and then my get older, my eyesight goes away, so I like the big print uh, of this Bible. Um, but read whatever version you have in front of you. If you've got the ESV, great. NASB, great. NIV, great. Because one thing about Hebrew poetry, it's, it's, very, it's very short, very curt. And so the translators have to put some interpretation into it uh, for it to, to kind of flow more smoothly. Matter of fact, I would actually recommend that when you come to Hebrew poetry, like you get in the book of Psalms, Take two or three different translations and read them. It really helps uh, the verses come to life. So uh, let's, let's read in Psalm 40. Uh, we're, again, we're only going to look at the first eight verses because I think what, what David is trying to express here is he, he knew that God was at work, so he proclaimed that God was at work, and he lived his life in the reality that God was at work. Now, I'm going to break this up into to three pieces, and we'll come back and unpack it here shortly. The first part is, is this. God rescued David. And David responded in joy to God's salvation. Verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. The second part God blessed David, and David reflected back God's goodness. So in verses 4 and 5, we read this. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If you, or excuse me, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And then in the third part, we see that God examined David, and David revealed what's God's requirement. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. David's assurance to Israel was that God was at work. That's your assurance today. God is at work in your life. Now, just a little bit of background information uh, on the book of Psalm. We, we know that, or I've already said that, it was written by David. Now, we don't really know the situation uh, for which David, David wrote this psalm. Um, but uh, certainly David is a man, uh, according, you know, we like the descriptor, a man after God's own heart. And so he's, he's writing this to the nation of Israel. But I think there's, there's timeless applications for us today. Psalm 40, it's a psalm of praise. And lament. One through eight is praise. 
11 through 17, uh, lament in verses 9 and 10, and there is a transition from praise to lament. So that's the type of psalm we have. Now, Eric has gone through a couple of psalms already this summer, and he'll be uh, preaching from a few more. So we've already had quite a bit of background in the book of psalms. Uh, And so I'm not going to repeat that material, but I do think what's important for us as we uh, unpack Psalm 40, as we, we look to the book of psalms, is we have to remember something. You know, most of us think Western uh, Greek philosophy, Western th- thoughts. And Hebrew wisdom literature is not Greek philosophy. Hebrew wisdom is not Greek philosophy. So w- when we think Greek, and I probably have said this before, is w- when we think Western thoughts, when we think Greek thoughts, we, we typically look first to the externals of things. All right? Hebrew looks to the content, the very essence of things first. I mean, when you think about the New Testament, Mostly Jewish writers, exception of Luke, mostly Jewish writers, so they're very Jewish in the way that they approach things. And when they write about Jesus Christ, the God-man, they don't write about the physical attributes of God, right? They write about the very essence of Jesus Christ, the God-man. So we need to come to this psalm thinking, what is the essence that David is trying to get across to us? So I've got three observations from the text. The first observation is in verses 1 to 3. Um, How's God at work? Well, first of all, God rescues. So let's look at one through three. Read with me, and then we'll unpack it. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my step. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Um, I'm going to talk about four things here. First of all, uh, I would almost bet if you're looking at the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, probably, I don't know, anybody like New Living Translation or anything, I would bet your first words are, I waited patiently. That would be your first words. Now, I got to say that that's a little bit placid. Uh, it's a little bit lame. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is when you look to the essence of it, when you actually look at the, the, the Greek words here, um, David, the author, he takes a Greek verb, kava, which means to, to wait or to hope for, and he repeats it in two different verbal forms. And, and the purpose of that in Hebrew is to, to intensify the meaning of that verb. What David also did, he took the, 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 the kind of the stem, they call it the stem of that verb, and he put it in a stem that also intensifies the meaning of that verb. So he's got a real intense meaning to the word wait here. And, and so when you also look at the root of that word, it comes from a, a, a word that, that kind of looks at something that's bound by twisting or turning that gives it extra strength. Think of a braided rope that's really strong. So it speaks to confidence. And so you've got this, this term here that he's saying, I wait. I I waited exceedingly so, solely and confidently for the Lord. That's how David was expressing his confidence, his trust in terms of this. It's not a a passive patience. It's it's a very intense uh, waiting on the Lord. And just just kind of a, a, a quick sidebar. Last week, if you were here, Dash was up on stage. Is Dash here today? I don't think I've seen him. Um. And Dash, he just bared his soul, right? He said, my fear up here is that I will get discovered. Well, at least I discovered, I hope you discovered, Dash could deliver. I thought he did a great job last week. If you see him, pat him on the back, because I think he delivered 
uh, and I, I thought it was great. My fear up here, and, and I'll just you know, tell you, I always get concerned when I go to the Word of God and have to speak of the, of the Word of God is that I get it right. I want to rightly divide the Word of truth, and I want to make sure that, that uh, the sermon is right. But I've got, uh, two days ago, I was at a men's Bible study in the, in the study of Luke, and one of the young men there uh, went to the book of Lamentations, and uh, he read something there, and it just kind of gave me that confidence that, that God was at work. And I'll just read what, what he did. Um, this is in Lamentations 3. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet, writes this. He says this, chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Again, just uh, some confidence in what, uh, what uh, we're looking at here today. Let's go back to Psalm 40. And the second thing I want to talk about here in verse 1 is the very essence of the relationship between God and David. The New King James says, and he inclined to me. Your version might say, uh, he reached out to me or uh, he turned to me. Again, the Hebrew here is, is a verb of, of action and engagement. And, and the, the word really has this idea of a body bending in motion. It's almost like he leaned into me or he bent down. And I think if you, again, go to the essence of, of the Hebrew, what, what David is saying, it, it's kind of the, the image here is of an earthly father bending down to hear the voice of a young child, right? He inclined to me. He bent down to me, and he heard me. The essence of the relationship. Third thing here is let's look at God at work. And look to the essence of the salvation here uh, in the text. David was in a dire, I don't know, maybe it was a life-threatening situation. But God rescued David. He lifted him out. I think the ESV says a, a pit of destruction. Um, but he, he, he lifts him from a, a desolate pit, a horrible pit. Um, and so let's, let's just look at the, the focus of this. And, and perhaps you can relate personally. Maybe you or somebody you know is in such a situation. Um, you know, it, it's, it, they're in a, a desolate pit. They're in a place that, that's paralyzing to them. It could be in terms of a, a relationship that's broken, uh, financial strains and stress, or it could be health. Um, but it just leaves this gut-wrenching feeling of, of, of helplessness. That's how David felt, and he waited. He waited exceedingly so, solely and confidently for the Lord because it's the Lord who rescued David. But he not only rescued him, as we see in verse 3, he restored him. He rescued him out and on to a rock, but, but look how that ends. And he established my steps. See, God's desire is that you keep going. You keep moving in service. So I don't want to go too quickly past that thought because the essence of wait, waiting exceedingly so, solely and confidently for the Lord is not just an intensity in the situation, but it's intention in that situation. The fourth thing to note here in, in the first part is how David responded to God's rescue. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Whatever the situation was, God delivered David. And, and so the mechanism is not how God did it or what God did or how David even got in the situation. The essence is that God did the rescuing. 
And, and what I, I like about this is, you know, he, he just praises God. And we sang it earlier, when I call, don't you always rescue me? Not in your timing. <laughs> Keep that right. In God's timing and God's way, he rescues. When I fall, you always carry me into the shadow of your love. So how can you think about these three verses today? Well, Bethel, I have a problem here. I tend to revert to my Greek thought. Show me the money, show me, show me, show me, and then I'll trust. That's not what David was talking about. The essence of the relationship that David wrote about was, do you trust God alone? Are you willing to wait, wait exceedingly so, solely and confidently on the Lord? Because he alone saves. Now, someone once wrote, this about patience it's not the ability to wait but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting um, i've heard it described more pragmatically um, there's a little boy in church during the sermon just poking his father with the ruler and the ribs during the sermon during the sermon during the sermon the father finally just had enough and said son what are you doing the old boy says i'm measuring your patience dad i'm measuring your patience Maybe you've been there. If not, well, maybe you'll get there. All right. Um, so what, how can you, what can you do with this? Well, I, I think you need to ask yourself, do you wait solely on the Lord? Do you, do you wait confidently in the Lord? Do you trust him in the midst of your anxiety, the stress in your life, that strained relationship, the stretched finances, the serious illness? You need to know God's at work in his way, in his timing. I might add for his purpose. Dare I say, not yours. But here's what's really cool. Here's what's really cool about this. It, it, there's an eternal payoff here. Look at the end of verse 3. This is powerful. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. David knew God was at work. He proclaimed God was at work. And he lived a testimony that God was at work. Many will see it and fear, and they themselves will trust in the Lord. Here's my second observation. How's God at work? Well, he rescues, but he not only rescues, he blesses. Look at four, verses 4 and 5. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God bless David. And David reflected back God's goodness. I want to cover three things here. First, the very beginning of, of this in verse 4 speaks of God's blessing. And I want to make sure that we understand this. This is measured in God's economy, not the world's economy. God's economy is eternal. The world's is temporal. God's economy is invaluable beyond measure. The world's economy is, is valueless without, without measure. And it's kind of like Jesus said in Matthew 16, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, they're, they're eternal. They can't be destroyed by rust or, or, or moths. Second thing here, let's, let's look at the rest of verse 4, because David gives us the qualification for God's blessing, which is faith. And see, the idea of faith was, 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 was introduced there, in, actually in verse 1, but, but more uh, apparent in verse 3. Um, and so... We need, to, we need to think about this whole concept of faith. And you want a good definition of faith? Just mark in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The author gives us a definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for 
and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is confidence in something or someone based on sufficient evidence and not necessarily fact. I like what C.S. Lewis had to say about faith. He said, faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. So David amplified this thought uh, here in the balance of, of, of verse 4. He says, trust in God, not in oneself. That's, that's called pride. Trust in God. Mine says not in lies. Yours might say idols, right? Trust in God because false gods, idols, that's not trusting in God. Trust alone in God because God alone is the one who saves and God blesses. And the third thing to note here and is, is this. Look carefully because he speaks of the very essence of, of God. The essence of God's blessing is in the goodness of the giver. Not the goody that was gotten. Did you get that? The essence of God's blessing is in the goodness of the giver and not the goody that was gotten. So what David does is he reflects on God's goodness. Look at this. Verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works. Right? There's, there's the big idea right there. He nailed it in, in, in verse 5. God is at work in your life, and he works in countless ways. And in fact, he can't stop thinking about you. I just, as I was preparing this, my, my mind went to uh, Psalm Psalm 8, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip back there very quickly. Another Psalm of David. God can't stop thinking about you. David wrote this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you would visit him? Little bitty, little bitty man. In an ever-expanding universe with, with numbers we can't understand that try to explain how big the universe is, God is thinking of me. He's thinking of you. The God of the universe thinks of you, John Toon. Yeah, even though you're going to watch the LSU game and probably forget about him. You'd be praying that they win, I know. But God is mindful of you. And David wrote this as he finished in, in, in Psalm 8. He says, uh, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Mm, that's how highly God thinks of you. He's not abandoned you. He doesn't want you to go along alone he is at work in your life so think about these verses this way god blesses those who live by faith now look i too often i go along maybe fat dumb and happy or you know, walling around in my misery and, and and i don't take the time to recognize and reflect back the very goodness of god um you know what active listening is have you ever heard of the term active listening you've heard of it okay maybe you've 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 were taught it in, in school or maybe in some sort of training on the job. But uh, here's what author Ken Sandy had to say about active listening. He said this. He said, active listening improves your ability to understand. It shows that you value others' thoughts. One aspect that this, um, that is the process of taking the other person's main thoughts, paraphrasing them in your own words, and then sending them back in a constructive way. The key point to reflecting is that it helps to understand. So when you reflect back God's goodness, it helps you to understand God's goodness. And it, it's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. You kind of you start doing this, and it just kind of builds and builds and builds on itself. David was reflecting back what he understood about God. God is good. 
The Bible says in places, we're to have the mind of, of Christ. You know, Paul wrote in, in Philippians, he says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and so David in verses 4 and 5 is just reflecting back the very mind of God. So what do you do with this? Well, I think first thing, just recognize the essence of his blessings and then reflect that back to him. Um, reflect back the goodness of God. Now, we had the, the, the freedom to come here to worship together without threat, without exposure of the elements and fellowship with one another. It's a blessing. And it's good to reflect that back with him. My third observation in the text um, is this. Verses 6, 7, and 8. God not only rescues, God not only blesses, but God, he examines. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at 6, 7, and 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. God examined David, and David revealed God's requirement. And, and um, while, you know, if we had time, you know, we might take a look at some of the, the, the Jewish uh, content here with the sacrifices, but we won't do that. What I want to do is just do two things. I want to look at David's perspective to Israel, and then I want to look at the, the messianic perspective uh, here in the text. Uh, the point that David was making to Israel was this, that God looked past the Levitical sacrifices to the heart and to the will of the people. And it's not new. You know, the, the king before David, the first king of Israel was Saul, right? And then God rebuked Saul, and, and David be, became king with, with time. But if you, you look at, at, at uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, Samuel's given the rebuke to Saul. And what did Saul do wrong? Well, let's, let's look at this. Beginning in, in verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says this. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Then he goes on and says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You ever heard of a love language? Somebody's love language is how you how you uh, show love to one another and how you receive one another. Well, the, the love language of God is this, obedience. When, when Jesus was in the upper room, uh, he tells the disciples, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. John was so turned on by that when he wrote his first epistle. He, he, he writes the same thing to the recipients of his re, uh, epistle. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So what God is looking for, he's looking, he's looking at the heart in obedience. He, he's looking at the, the root as well as the fruit. God looks to the heart. I think to close this out here in Psalm 40, what we need to do is also look at the messianic content. Uh, so turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 4 through 10, but we, we don't have time to, to fully unpack it. Um, we got four through seven on the screen, and if your eyes are as bad as mine, you can't see it anyway. Um, so just look at, look at your, your Bibles. And, and again, um, we're going to look now at the messianic component of this, starting in verse four. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, that's an inferential, therefore, um, because of which, if you want to think of it that way. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. I know that's a little different. You'll get over it. 
In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will. This is now Christ. The, the author of Hebrews is talking about Christ. And so when you look at verses 8 through 10, you get a repetition of that very thing. And it's not just stylistic on the part of the author of Hebrews. He's emphasizing Christ Jesus. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He's talking about Jesus. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, that by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. By grace, by grace through faith, you've been placed in Christ Jesus. Not Not receiving a not guilty verdict, but receiving the direct declaration from God the Father that you are righteous because you're in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Positionally by faith, and we live our lives by faith to grow into that image of Jesus. So yeah, life is hard. Um, And you can find yourself in a, a desolate pit. But did you know that the healthiest trees, the ones with the, the densest woods, are those that struggle in life? Um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't grow in easy conditions. Now, we, we plant a lot of pine trees and stuff to, to grow them in, in kind of open air situations where they get lots of sunshine and lots of irrigation. Those trees, they grow very quickly, but they're not the dense wood uh, that you get from a tree that struggled. It's kind of like those weightlifters. They, they do a lot of resistance training with weights to build themselves up physically. Well, a lot of times the, the troubles uh, that we face in life, they're there to develop us spiritually. And so we need to wait, wait exceedingly so, solely, confidently on the Lord because he's the one that rescues So, that's Psalm 40, verses 1 through 8. And um, as Eric would say, it's time to land the proverbial plane of the sermon. Only in this case, we're going to land the Apollo 13 spacecraft. Now, did you look up Paul Harvey? As Paul Harvey would say, and now for the rest of the story. Now, you older people will appreciate that. An unlikely hero in the Apollo 13 uh, mission was a then 27-year-old systems warning engineer named Jerry Woodfill. Anybody hear of Jerry Woodfill? Nobody in the first service did either. Oh, somebody back there? Yeah. This is interesting. Jerry worked with a team of engineers, and they developed a resolution to the CO2 poisoning problem aboard the spacecraft. They used things that were on board, plastic bags and, and duct tape. Now, you know that the crew returned safely home. But did you know that this event changed Jerry's life forever? He was awarded several awards. He he even got a medal from the the President of the United States of America. But those paled in comparison to the legacy that Jerry left behind. See, at the time of the Apollo 13 incident, Jerry was not a Christian. But for 50 years after that, uh, he just died in January 2022. So for 50 years since that event... He boldly spoke of the providence of God, and he became known as the, uh, the NASA evangelist. He gave up to 40 lectures a year, 
And one of his favorite lines in those talks was this. Jerry would say, God saw by his providence that this stuff was on board, and it's called duct tape. See, Jerry, he, he saw God rescue, and he rejoiced. He, he saw God bless, and reflected back God's goodness. And Jerry's heart was set ablaze for the Lord. And as, as David records there in verse 9, if you still got your Bibles open to Psalm 40, he says, I have told the good news, the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. Jerry's message and all of his talks, God's at work. God is at work. So do you believe that God's at work in your life? Do you? Say it. God's at work. Say it. God's at work. Yeah, he is. He's working in my life right now. Is there work in the way? Come on, the sovereign of the universe. God's at work, right? Amen. Hey, thank you. Yeah. And do you live it? Do you live? Well, you face I did this first service. I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. I'm going to go off script. Get preachy. Um, do you wait, wait solely on the Lord when you're facing troubles, when life is just feeding you crap? I'm, I say crap up here, Eric. Forgive me. Do you? Do, do, do you? Or do you just pray, oh, get this over with, Lord, you know? Sometimes God doesn't want you to get it over with. Sometimes God wants you to stay in that, that pit for a while. He wants you to be there. I don't, you know, it could be an illness. It could be a broken relationship. It could be financial strain. Too often we, we, we want to just pray that, that the trial we're in ends. Instead of praying, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn? Maybe it's humility. What is it? And, I, and look, I know life throws crap at you. It happens. But you're growing spiritually in the Lord. Look, look at the life of Jesus, man. Right? Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. What he faced, he did it with joy. The, the cross that laid before him. Ah, wait patiently, patiently for the Lord. Because God's at work in your life. Let's pray. Hmm. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we want to just thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of David that uh, I find encouraging. The, the, the songs of worship that we sang today, Lord, I just, I just almost break into tears every time I hear that uh, Chris was that song. Of, uh, when I call, you always rescue me. And I know it's not in my time and it's your time. It's for your purpose, Lord. And then you carry me into the shadow of your love. Mm. Lord, may we just look at your words and just, ref just, just let those work in us and then reflect your goodness. Reflect your goodness, Lord. Mm. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this house of God. In Jesus' name we pray.